declared, Great production of beef can take place only in sparse settlements. As the tide of increasing population flows over a country, the great cattle ranges are crowded out, giving place to cultivated fields. More people means less room for cattle, a relative or even absolute decrease in the herds. Where Europe's meat has been produced. In spite of their crowded territory, the majority of European countries have raised most of their meat themselves, though usually they have had to import fodder to keep up their herds. They have been less dependent on import for meat than for wheat. Great Britain is the only country which has imported much meat, almost one half her supply. Her imports, and to a lesser extent those of other European countries, have come chiefly from Denmark and Russia in Europe, and from six countries outside, the United States, Canada, Argentina, Uruguay, Australia, and New Zealand. The War and the European Meat Supply Imports of both animals and fodder are interrupted. With meat, as with wheat, the great shortage is due to lack of ships. Australia and New Zealand, and to a lesser extent South America, are cut off. Fodder, such as cottonseed press cake, cannot be shipped in large amounts, as it takes three times as much shipping to transport feed as it does the meat made by the animals from it. Denmark's supply of animals to Great Britain has practically stopped, because of her own shortage and because much of what she has goes to Germany. The European herds have been cut down. Every one of the warring countries has fewer meat animals now than before the war. There were roughly 100 million animals less in Europe at the end of 1917 than in 1914. Many of those left are in very poor condition, so that the shortage is even more serious than is indicated by the falling off in numbers. Belgium, Serbia, and Romania are in the worst condition. Practically all the animals in those countries have been killed or confiscated by the invading German and Austrian armies. This is one cause of their terrible famine conditions. The United Kingdom, France, and Italy have also lost seriously. France is the greatest loser of the three, with more than one-fifth of her herds gone. The enemy has driven off large numbers of her cattle. She, like the others, is in difficulty not only for meat, but for milk. Her situation is complicated by the fact that she has no great cold storage plants like ours, and so must get meat supplies at frequent intervals. Before the war, Germany was much better prepared than the Allies, in that she had many more animals in proportion to her population than they. But she was more dependent upon imports of feed and as her commerce has been cut off, she has had to kill her animals faster. Counting up all her animals in terms of cattle, according to the amount of meat they would yield, shows a loss of over one-third. For Austria, there are no available figures, but her decrease has probably been larger than Germany's. Meat shortage is not a problem by itself, but is closely connected with the shortage of available grain. When cereals are short, they must be fed to human beings rather than to animals. Feeding grain to animals and then eating the animals is not nearly so economical as eating grain directly. 
For example, when grain is fed to a cow, only 3.5% of the energy of the grain is turned into meat or fat, and 96% is burned up by the cow in its own daily living. When a man eats the grain directly, he uses at least 85% of its energy. Thus, 81.5% more of the grain is actually used for human food. So Europe today has to sacrifice her herds and uses grain for bread instead of turning it into meat. Alongside this shortage has come an increased demand for meat by the great armies. The soldier's ration always contains more meat than is eaten by the civilian population. The Meat Rations of Europe The shortage has compelled vigorous control of consumption in order to make the distribution as nearly fair as possible. Compulsory meat rations are enforced in all the warring countries. They vary, of course, from time to time, as the amount of available meat changes, but the following statements give a picture of how limited the allowances are in periods of shortage. England did not suffer for lack of meat at the outset of the war. Her voluntary ration, November 1917, was generous, two pounds a week. In the beginning of 1918, the supply was very low, and by the end of February, London was put on meat rations, and in April, the rest of the country. The rationing system has made distribution easier and more fair, and greatly lessened the distressing queues of people waiting before butcher shops for their allowance. The regulations allow each person four coupons a week. Children under 10 are on half rations, at first, three of these coupons could buy five pence worth of beef, pork, or mutton, and one had to be used for a limited amount of bacon, ham, poultry, or game. The total amounted to about one and a quarter pounds of meat a week. Because of the increased amount of bacon and ham which the United States was able to send in the late spring, heavy workers were permitted, in May, two extra coupons for which they might buy a pound of bacon. Boys between 13 and 18 years were allowed one extra coupon for bacon, poultry, or game. But at the same time, only two instead of three coupons were to be used for fresh meat, so as to cut down further the slaughtering of cattle. Heavy fines are imposed for wasting food or profiteering. In the restaurants, the meat portions are about a fifth of the size of those served in an American hotel. An American staying in London said recently that he could eat two meals in succession in a London restaurant and leave the table still minus that self-satisfied feeling that a meal in America gives. At first, France used meatless days instead of rations, and in the spring of 1918 went back to meatless days. High prices also keep down consumption. In July 1917, there were two meatless days, and cattle could not be slaughtered on the two preceding days. Though this order was abolished in October 1917, meat had gone up so high in price that consumption went away down. The Paris letter of the London Daily News and Leader on February 28, 1918, says that rump steak was selling for four shillings two pence, a dollar per pound. Since May 15th, three days a week must be meatless, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 
On these days, all butcher shops are closed. Horse meat may be sold, but no poultry or game. Fish is scarce and very expensive. Italy has meatless days, formerly two, and since May 1918, three. The ration and the number of cattle to be slaughtered are decided locally and strictly regulated. The central powers probably have the lowest meat ration. The quantities allowed vary in different parts of the country, but the average in Germany has been about 9 ounces a week per person. It was reported that this was reduced to 6 ounces in the middle of May, barely two small servings each week. The part of the United States. As with wheat, meat for Europe must come chiefly from the United States and Canada, since ships are few and the Atlantic the shortest route. The extra demand upon us is to offset the loss from inaccessible markets and the depleted herds in Europe. The United States is now exporting far larger quantities than it has ever exported before. In March 1918, we sent over 87 million pounds of beef. Ordinarily, we export between 1 and 2 million pounds a month. Of pork, we sent 308 million pounds, six times more than usual. It is roughly estimated that it is necessary to send 75 million pounds of meat and meat products of all kinds abroad weekly to our allies and to our army. To buy and sell this huge and unusual quantity of meat, a careful organization has been necessary. At first, the Allied nations bought meat in this country as best they could, in competition with the domestic market and each other, often feverishly to meet emergencies. Last December, a commission was formed to buy for all the Allies. The prices to be paid are settled by experts after careful study, so that packers, storage warehouses, and producers shall all have adequate but not excessive return for their labor. The buying is planned ahead so that we can ship at times when we have plenty. The meat which we are shipping now is coming in part from an increased slaughter of cattle and hogs, a condition which may have serious consequences in reducing our reserve. The need for conservation is constant, though at times the situation becomes easier in one kind of meat or another. In the summer of 1917, we were short on hogs. In the spring of 1918, thanks to the Keep a Pig movement and vigorous conservation, as well as high prices, we temporarily had hogs in plenty. Beef is short for the summer season. Policies must change frequently with fluctuating supplies and varying demands from Europe. However, the export demand for our forces and the Allies is limited only by shipping capacity. And it may be that we shall have a still larger demand at the war's end, which will tax any reserve which we can possibly accumulate. Meat Conservation Meat does not play nearly so important a role in the world's dietary as we are accustomed to think. There is no comparison in the quantity consumed between meat and bread, or even meat and sugar or potatoes. Half of the people on the earth eat little or none of it. Only in two kinds of communities is meat used largely. New and thinly populated countries with much grazing land, 
or wealthy industrial countries. Australia and New Zealand are of the first type, consuming more meat per person than any other country in the world, five pounds a week in Australia and four pounds in New Zealand. The United States, parts of which may be considered in both classes, eats about three and a quarter pounds per person weekly. This is much less than some years ago when there was more grazing land. Great Britain, because it could afford to import it, used about two and a quarter pounds a week before the war. Germany's consumption was slightly lower. France, Denmark, Switzerland, with fewer animals or less wealth, are small meat eaters, the average amount being about one and a quarter pounds a week, about half as much as our consumption. Meat and other protein foods. Meat is eaten partly because of its pleasant flavor and partly because it is a source of protein which is necessary to build or renew the various parts of the body. Every cell in the body contains it and needs a steady supply. Meat is a valuable protein food, but so are plenty of others. Fish, cheese, eggs, milk, dried beans, dried peas, nuts, cereals. Cottage cheese is the most nearly pure protein of anything that we eat. We can get protein just as satisfactorily from cheese and the other animal protein foods as from meat, and almost as satisfactorily from the vegetable protein foods. The old idea that meat is especially strengthening has no foundation. Neither is one kind of meat less thoroughly digested than another. There is little danger in this country that our diet will fall too low in protein. Many of us eat considerably more than we need. Even those who must spend a dangerously limited amount on their diet are not apt to be low in protein, for they often err on the side of spending an unwise proportion of their money on meat. Most scientists now consider three ounces of carefully chosen protein per day a safe allowance for an average man. An average woman needs less. It is not at all difficult for an interested person to count up roughly whether he is eating more or less than this quantity. A small serving of lean meat or fish, about two inches square and three quarters of an inch thick, contains about one half ounce of protein two eggs, a pint of milk, a quarter of a cup of cottage cheese, an inch and a quarter cube of American cheese, each have about this same amount. So does a cup and a half of baked beans, or two and a half cups of cooked cereal, or six half-inch slices of bread, three by three and a half inches. A person eating six of these portions daily will of course have his three ounces of protein, a man moderate in his eating and patriotic in his saving of meat will probably find his consumption not far from this quantity. The Meat Substitutes Fish The possible supply of fish is practically unlimited, and much of it is little appreciated by us. We eat on the average only 18 pounds apiece per year, though our meat consumption is 170 pounds. The British and Canadians use much more fish than we do, 56 and 29 pounds respectively. The United States Bureau of Fisheries and many state colleges are constantly introducing new varieties from shark down. 
we should learn to value the many kinds which are available, fresh, dried, and canned, not merely the few we happen to be used to. Eggs form a very valuable food, not only for protein, but for mineral salts and vitamins as well. It is unfortunate that the price is often high, but it should be realized that expenditure for eggs makes expenditure for meat unnecessary. Poultry is not now listed as a meat substitute by the Food Administration because the supply has become very limited. Cheese is one of the best substitutes for meat. It represents most of the food value of a much greater bulk of milk, and its protein, fat, and mineral salts make it an important food. We in America are very slow to appreciate it. We are apt to use it in small quantity for its flavor rather than as a real food. We could well eat more of it to the advantage both of the palatability and nutritive quality of our diet. Milk. One of the most easily digested and simplest sources of protein in our diet, and the most valuable of our foods, is discussed in Chapter 7. Nuts are usually thought of as a luxury, but the amount of protein and fat they contain makes them really an important food. Peanuts are usually classed with the nuts and are considered the most valuable nut crop of the United States. They are growing so fast in importance that the acreage was increased 60% in 1917. They are used for oil and for fodder as well as for human food. Peanut butter or a bag of peanuts is a good investment, but it should be counted as part of the necessary food, not eaten as an extra. The occasional indigestion following injudicious eating of cheese and nuts is probably often due to forgetting that they are very substantial foods and eating them at the end of an already sufficient meal. Peas and beans are taken up with the other vegetables in Chapter 8. Why do not the Allies use these substitutes? Mainly because they haven't them. Dairy products are as scarce as meat. All the fish and beans and peas that they can get are being used but it is not enough. Their small meat ration must be maintained, and their armies as well as ours must have meat 